0: oh hello guys welcome back to another episode of the annoyed lemon podcast thank you so much for coming back and hanging in there and waiting for me it was a crazy week last week and this week it was my kids like final week and a half of school there was field trips field days school recitals her, her class had their class party outside at a park. It was a lot. And it was hard for me to squeeze all this shit in. So I thank you very much for hanging in there with me uh, while waiting for our next episode, uh, which we will be going over in this episode, the memoir, Mott Street. It is not a celebrity memoir. I took a break from that this week. I just wasn't feeling any celebrities this week. I was over them. Or last week, whenever I've listened to this book. And so Mott Street just came out a few months ago. It's gotten really good reviews. Um, and it is by author Ava Chin. It is a Chinese American family story of exclusion and homecoming. That's what it, the official title is on the cover. I just found it really interesting. If you don't know what Mott Street is, like I've said on my TikToks, Mot Mott Street is the main main thoroughfare through Chinatown in Manhattan New York City and Ava who is a Chinese American she was born uh, and raised in Queens in Flushing Queens to be exact by her single mother finds out through research that she starts in her 20s when she's in college who her ancestors are who her family is she just has this feeling and she's actually felt it her whole childhood because she was estranged 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 is that the word girl she didn't know her whole dad's side of the family okay from birth she never ever ever met her father ever I think maybe when she was first born or something and then he split never to have contact again and so as she got older but she always questioned who her dad was she would always have these like thoughts about who you know wonders as a child and my dad just showing up at school concerts and shit like that of course he never did and uh so she was always thinking like you know who he was who her family was and so in her 20s in college because she was going to school to be journalist and a writer and stuff and so she started using facilities that were available to her at the time through school and through her internships and stuff like that and different uh for different newspapers and stuff to research her dad's side of the family and she finds this whole crazy plethora of information that she had no idea and it all leads back to one singular address on Mott Street 37 Mott Street the building is still there today you can google it I shared photos of it on my TikTok page You can go on Zillow and see it it's a building it's a tenement building if you don't know what a tenement building is like it's just a big apartment building in New York they call them tenements so that's an old term Uh, you know when you, you call someone who's a renter a tenant tenements this is you know I don't know what the word means girl that's what they used to call it back in the day maybe they still call it to this day I don't know in New York City at least and it's a building on Mott Street. It's an infamous infamous building. It's been there a super duper long time since like, I don't know, 1900, very early like when it was built in the 1900s. And it is in like an elbow shape. Kind of has like an arc to it. And so it encompasses you if you're in the building, you can see like all of Mott Street and Chinatown, and the goings-on, so it's the center of that whole area there, and so she finds, traces all her family back to the Mott Street, in particularly, in particularly to 37 Mott Street, this building, four and five generations back, girl, she investigated. Uh, Not all four and five generations were in Mott Street, because the girl, by that time, have, they were all, they were still in China, but she, this is, she goes back this far. This is what the whole memoir is about. I thoroughly, enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to get into some of the details and specifics of the book in a minute. I am not going to go over the whole entire book. It was an 11 and a half hour audiobook. It's a big book written by someone who is an, a distinguished author or at least an author. She's written other books. She won an award for her previous book to this one, which was Foraging in New York City. Girl, that sounds interesting. But anyway. So, you know, this isn't a celebrity just blathering to somebody and then it's copied down. So it's an 11 and (laughs) a half. It's a lot. But I very much enjoyed it. But I can't go over, nor should I go over every single thing that happens because... The whole point of me telling you these memoirs is to not just entertain you with a good story and tell you what I think, but, you know, go out and buy it. Go out and get the audiobook. It's summertime, girl. Like, go do some summer reading. I enjoyed listening to the audiobook. It's narrated by her, the author, Ava. And it's so weird because her voice reminds me of someone. If you listen to this audiobook... If you Decide to let me know either drop a message on here, drop me a message on TikTok, send an email, annoyed uh, lemon tt at proton.me. D- Somehow reach out to me and tell me because I, the whole time I was listening to this audiobook, all I could think is fuck, like her voice sounds so familiar, like a famous person's voice, or like a I couldn't place it, but as I all I could think about. So you let me know if you think the same way, if you listen to the audiobook. But anyway, so we're going to get into it in a minute. Uh, like I said, I'm not, I can't go over every single detail. So basically, she very much talks about how the majority of this book is like a book of spirits, a book of ghosts, not in the spooky way, but in an ancestral way. And how her ancestors really wanted her to tell her story. She felt that through her research and so she goes into detail about all these different ancestors great-grandparents, grandparents, grandparents, great-uncles, cousins, aunts, and they all have these unique crazy stories, stories that can be pinned back to historical moments in time in the United States and elsewhere in the world and it's super duper interesting. I mean I found it interesting. Also it's heartbreaking because Chinese-Americans in this country uh, did, not, do, did not have a great history girl. Who does in the Americas? And uh, much of the book is about the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 and how that affected her ancestors and her families and her family today that exists today and how it affects all Chinese-American families, many of them. So, again, I cannot go over every single little thing. But I will give you the gist of what I loved about it. I'll get you interested. I'll get you interested. And then the rest is up to you. How about that, girl? How about that? I think that's, that's the best way. So, Ava starts out the prologue talking about how in China many different languages and dialects are spoken and how girl she's no expert she's a Chinese American she knows a lot but she don't know it all so some of the words and phrases she's going to use they might not be exactly correct like people could debate how she pronounces words how she pronounces names so I'm going to pronounce things if I even dare to, some of it, I just, I'm, I'm going to just use an American word or whatever, <laughs> or not say, it. I'm going to do it how she pronounces it. But I mean, not that she very much was raised by her Chinese grandparents, mainly, um, her, her grandfather came over from China. So she can speak it, but she's not fluent, fluent like that. Right. So she's already preparing. Cause you know, girl, how people do, they love to be like, well, actually it's pronounced whatever. And not that there's, that's not important. To get the right idea, but she explains that in these cases, in China, there's so many different not just languages like Mandarin, Cantonese, Taiwan, Taiwanese. Then there's different dialects to it. Depending it, it can be very complicated. And so, girl, I just wanted to put that out there. Okay, and you know me, I don't know none of it. So I'm just gonna go off with of whatever she says. So in her searches she also says to find out all this information girl she researched for this book for years I think she said for a decade or more so it started when she was in her early early 20s just graduating and getting out of college interning at like a newspaper and being like "Huh," because she never knew her dad And like I'm gonna research him and I'm gonna research my grandparents blah, 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 blah. So it started as e- as innocently as that and turned into like an obsession and she moved zigzagged across the country moved to these places where her ancestors lived at times first stayed for a little while moved her family and herself and her husband girl to China and lived in the villages there for a while to learn about how it felt to live there coming for her, you know what her ancestors felt living Like, she researched this shit in this book. Which, and you could tell, by the way. I mean, she was getting, like, documents from, you know, archived, you know, uh, facilities that the government runs, everything. Researched. And she also got information word of mouth. People on the street playing mahjong. Family members that are still alive, people that live in the building on Mott Street still, shit like that. So she did it all, right? And when she started going deeper and deeper into this research, she said she really felt like, at first, it was just a curiosity. She always just didn't know her dad. She didn't know her dad. She didn't know that side of the family at all. She didn't know nothing. And, as she would find out one thing it was next thing it would lead to the next thing, it would lead to the next thing it just couldn't stop her curiosity. And she also felt like her ancestors were like demanding their stories to be told. Girl, sometimes she was laying in bed like she like she couldn't sleep, she couldn't sit still, she couldn't be settled without researching and writing and figuring this these puzzles out, this detective work out, and she felt like it was her ancestors her great-grandmother people sitting next to her screaming hello Ava wake up tell my story because people forgot it so it was very much it consumed her in that kind of way and she describes her family as a noisy bothersome bunch (laughs) in a good way not in a bad way and so that's how this memoir came to be now Like I told you, Mott Street, let's talk about what Mott Street is. It's the heartbeat, as she calls it, of Chinatown. And even though Ava grew up in Flushing, Queens, so Flushing is like a neighborhood in Queens. I'm sorry, you're going to hear noise. I live in a city. I feel like I always have to apologize for this shit. And I got my windows open, girl. I don't, I'm, on an, I'm not on a soundstage here. So just deal with the friggin' sirens. It's gonna happen. Anyway, so Flushing, uh, Queens. It's a neighborhood in Queens. And now, nowadays, if you were to go to Flushing, um, it is very much a bigger, bigger Chinatown in Chinese population than Chinatown in Manhattan. Uh, but Way, 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 way back in the day, Chinatown was just Chinatown and nobody was living in Flushing, Queens, okay? But when Ava was growing up in Queens, she was like one of the only Asian kids in her class. There was maybe one other at school. So when she was growing up, which was, um, you know, in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, it wasn't popular like it is now. And so she was like one of the only Asian kids. So her grandparents, because her mother was a single mother and was always working, she spent a ton of time with her grandparents, her maternal, her mother's mom and dad. And they would take her to Chinatown all the time, to Mott Street, to shop for food because they would make, she describes in the memoir food so well and beautifully god she was making my friggin' mouth water listening to her describe the foods they would make and they would travel to chinatown to get these specific very special ingredients from the chinese you know vendors and markets and her grandfather even though they didn't have a ton of money her grandfather managed a bar her grandmother was a bookkeeper but he would demand these best ingredients he wouldn't settle like if there was a certain type of mushroom or certain type, they had to have it So they would often go to Chinatown for that and to go to their favorite Cantonese restaurant. And she had no idea her entire life, as a kid, as a teen, even in her college years, going the thousands of times she went to Mott Street, that this family history existed of hers on her father's side on that street. And she walked past the building 37 Mott Street she doesn't know how many fucking times and how when she finally figured it out which we'll talk about in a minute how odd that was to be like oh my god like all the times I walked past this like I had no idea crazy um so her family lived there for about close to 80 years worth of family members and this is like grandparents parents Aunts, uncles, all cousins living there, 80 years. She didn't know any of them. Sorry, I lost my spot here with my notes. Okay, so when Ava finally decides and figures out about 37 Mott Street and starts taking all this research she did for years about her family, she starts to write this memoir. She rents an apartment at 37 Mott Street to do it which I thought was brilliant and she lives there while she writes this book so she really can absorb the f- very familiar feeling of being in the building and she describes the first time she ever opened the door and walked into the lobby of Mott Street because it's a tenement right so you're going to walk in it's going to be like a lobby a four-year situation there's going to be stairs going up Anyway, she feels like and she feels to this day every time she opens the door to that building like she's gone through a portal in time. I mean she describes the railing or the banister of the staircases being so old and worn from the thousands and thousands of people's hands over friggin decades and decades and decades that ran up and down over that banister. She describes the walls and how you know they were (laughs) filled with decades worth of dirt and then painted over again, and then dirt. You know, it's one of those buildings that's so old. There's like it's like an inch thick of paint, and how she finds that all charming though, because the stories that are embedded into these the paints and everything else. She's, there's just such a feeling of history in the building. Uh, in the summertime, everybody opens their doors. They open the door to their apartment they open the doors to their window or they open their windows. So they get a cross breeze coming through. Cause girl, even if you have air conditioning, which in New York, a lot of these buildings are so old, they just have window units. It doesn't do enough. So in the summer, you just, everyone's got their door open. Everyone's got their window open and you hear everybody's business girl. And people are speaking mainly Cantonese and they're cooking and they're, you know, yelling and some are arguing and you smell everything like the food cooking and, She just says how she absolutely loves it. Loves the feeling. She feels very close and very connected when she's there. And she talks about how, you know, she doesn't speak Cantonese perfectly. And Cantonese is a dialect that comes from southern China. It's a very, it's not like slang, but it's an informal way of speaking. So like Mandarin is a very formal way of speaking Chinese and it comes from mainly the north of China and Cantonese is very different. So she knows Mandarin, um, but not extremely fluently, but Cantonese is even harder and she only knows certain words from her grandparents and things like that. And so most of the people in this building are speaking Cantonese, so they would see her and start to speak Cantonese to her and she can't really answer them back. And then they get annoyed with her because she can't really answer. They're like, aren't you Chinese? And she, But she finds all of it, like, charming. Very charming, all of it. Uh, now, let me go into the Chinese Exclusion Act. What that is, and there's a reason why I'm going to talk about it now. I think it's important time before I get any further. So... 37 Mott Street was built, like I said, it was either built, I looked it up, it's, let's say not, between 1912 and 1915, right around there, those, those years, that's when it was built. In 1882, so a decade or so, give or take to, you know, earlier, the Chinese Exclusion Act, Exclusion Act was written. And what that was, was written by President Arthur girl, and he didn't like Chinese people, right? It literally is what it says. He made it a federal law, girl, not a state law or nothing like that, a federal law for all of the United States that if you were Chinese, you could not gain immigration status, couldn't become a citizen, couldn't come over here. If you were a Chinese laborer, okay? You could come over here if you were a diplomat or the relatives of a diplomat or if you were some type of a scholar or a teacher or if you were a student, if you can prove that you were going to study in a college in the United States or if you were a type of merchant that was deemed necessary or or you know, beneficial to the United States. But if you were a laborer, like, I don't know, a cook, a mason, um, a launderer, something like that, a working class Joe, like most people are, blue collar, you couldn't gain immigration status. And President Arthur made that a federal law. It was supposed to only last for 10 years. Why 10, I don't know, but it wound up lasting for over 60, (laughs) okay? And what happened was it it was perpetuated where it came from, we'll get into that later, by Asian hate and anti-Asian rhetoric because Americans thought that Asians were stealing their jobs. Doesn't this sound familiar? Okay. And so there was an economic downturn and all this shit happened. And they were like, it's the Asians. It's the Chinese in particularly. And they were like, we're going to exclude them from gaining citizenship. We're going to talk that about that again in a little bit. But I wanted to point that out. And so 37 Mott Street was filled with a lot of these people who were descendants of people that were directly affected by the Chinese Exclusion Act. Okay, and we'll get back into that in a minute. I wanted to say that. So Ava being there wasn't just about I'm in the building where my ancestors lived and were born and and died and everything, but I'm amongst the peop, my people all of the people in this building even if they're not my relatives that all have almost the same exact story and so it felt like I said very familiar to her and it would have her thinking to herself like who am I in relationship to these people who are these people like it was who who are any of us and what are we and that you know was very much a feeling of it birthed inspiration and questions and she just felt like she needed to tell everybody's story so that's what the book is okay now let's talk about how am I going to do this because Ava jumps around in the book a bit we're going to talk about Ava's grandmother and grandfather and mother growing up in Flushing Queens let's let's skip to that first okay Ava's um, grandfather ran a bar. He came over here from China at 16. Ava's grandmother was born here in the United States she was a bookkeeper and she's actually highly educated for not just a Chinese woman, but a Chinese person in general, because she, uh, her parents came over here as immigrants before the Chinese Exclusion Act happened, girl. And then she was born here. So she got in here before any of that chaos. So she benefited. Not a lot of Chinese people were lucky. Like Ava's grandfather didn't come over here till he was 16. But he had to lie and make fake papers to get over here at 16. We'll get into that. So... She was raised by her grandparents' girl because you know how it is with stay-at-home mothers. They're working hard. They don't have time. So always the grandparents' house was like her home. She did live with her mom in an apartment. They changed apartments a lot. So the only stable thing all the time that stayed the same was the grandparents' house in Queens. And there was always cooking going on. And they were, you know, Ava was the only child. And so... She was, the, the grandparents, not spoiled her, but would just cook these feasts for her. Anytime they went, she was there with them. Her favorite foods constantly, like, like whatever you think of, like, having, like, these fantastic grandparents, girl, which I did not have, <laughs> so I'm jealous. The, your favorite foods, your comfort foods, your, and, you know, of course, these are all, like, Chinese cuisine she's eating, but still a sound you know it sounds delicious to me even though I haven't eaten half of this shit I wish I could and the and the the chicken and the fish and the vegetables and just all of it and they love doing that especially this the grandfather he did it all the time her grandfather's name they called people call him Gene was Eugene that was his american name girl that was put on paperwork when he came over here but that wasn't his real name you know how that goes too And he would work mainly the nights, which is very much what immigrant families, especially Chinese immigrant families, would do. One work nights, one work days. They switch over in the middle for a couple hours and, you know, switch over watching the kids. And so that's how it would go. The grandmother was the bookkeeper working during the day. The grandfather ran and managed a bar working at night. And Ava just loved, she couldn't speak, couldn't, more, more, She speaks so highly of her grandparents in this memoir and how they treated her. And everything was prioritized for her. It was so much love, right? Now, and of course she does speak highly of her mother, particularly toward the end of the book. There's just not a lot of talk about the mother there's really not a lot of talk about the grandparents that a lot, the ones that in Queens, in the very beginning of the book, there is. Because the majority of the book is about these older, these these, these spirits, these ghosts, these ancestors that aren't even living anymore. But I, there's a part of me that wish she kind of spoke about her mother more. Um, she tells, talks about how her mother was a beautiful woman, uh, like a pageant type woman, performer. But there's but there, not a ton of talk. But there was a lot of love and but even though there was a ton of love there was always this feeling of ex- of something missing of exclusion um Ava's grandfather and grandmother would often like she would ask about her father or they would sometimes talk about her father and you know they'd be like well your father comes from a very big family down in Chinatown a bunch of big wigs in Chinatown. It would be like a negative connotation to it, but they wouldn't really say anything more than that. There was a deep seated hatred for Ava's father, and she never, as a child and growing up, she couldn't understand why. Um, not that they spoke terrible things about him in her presence, but just they wouldn't. If he was mentioned, it was like, we don't talk about him, like Lord Voldemort, like that she has a memory one time of the, when she was very little like maybe preschool or four years old find like there was this picture the only picture of her dad that that was in a like when there was the dad the mom and I think when Ava was like on the day she was born something like that and I think either Ava kept it hidden or it was somewhere hidden in the house and she found it as a toddler a three four year old whatever And the mother found it and grabbed it and went to burn it. And Ava was, like, crying and grabbing for it and being like, no, no, no. Because she used to stare at the picture and, like, fantasize about her father. The mother burned it. Girl, so you get the gist? Shit's not good there, okay? It's not until later that Ava finds out that the father basically left the mother at the altar. They got her pregnant. She has the baby. She's supposed to get married. And he don't. And he splits. And his ass don't never come back. Not like comes back here and there and and fades away. Never comes back. Never supports in any kind of way. Like dumps. Also, the only other thing the grandparents would tell her is that uh, the father was very much older than Ava's mother. She doesn't never say exactly what the age difference is, but it's something like they would describe him as being their age and dating Ava. Girl. So there you go. Okay. Uh, So as Ava grows up, she's, again happy but always has this feeling of like I just I'm dying to know why didn't he come what's wrong with me blaming herself you know all those things she didn't have no other family members it was just her her mom her grandma her grandpa no cousins no aunts and uncles no sibling nothing very tiny family unit and so she was curious and at about 20 21 years old She's just finishing college, working for a newspaper, and she uses, and this is in the 90s, right? And she uses, like, microfiche. Remember that shit? When you had to do a report in school if you're old, like me, and you had to search old newspaper articles. It was, like, basically scanned newspapers from decades and hundreds of years prior. She uses that shit. To search up obituaries because she's like, I don't know if people do obituaries a ton nowadays, but in the 90s and shit, they did, you know, anybody that died would get an obituary. And she knew her dad's name. Her last name is Chin, father's name is Stanley. She knew they were from Chinatown. So she starts looking through the obituaries and she sees an obituary for someone named Lone Chin, Lone Chin, and it's this huge obituary, and Lone Chin is um, like, sorry, that's my dog making noise, you know, according to obituary, this huge bigwig in Chinatown, He was a Boy Scout leader. He was a business owner. He was a basketball coach. He played basketball. He was involved in politics in Chinatown. He owned businesses in Chinatown. He this, he that. He was like the frigging mayor of Chinatown without being the actual mayor of Chinatown because there was no mayor of Chinatown. But you get it, girl, what I'm saying. And it says, oh, here's all his descendants, one of whom firstborn Stanley Chin. It was also two or three other brothers and a couple sisters, four or five kids. She's like, oh my God, here's my whole family. My dad, aunts, uncles, grandpa, oh, and married to the grandma, listed right there in front of her. It was the first time ever she even saw their names, girl. So she, Ava, secretively... Because if the parent, if her mother or her grandparents knew that she was researching this shit, it would be World War fucking three. She secretively goes to a school, a private school in, um, I think it's in Brooklyn. I forget the name of the private school where Lone Chin went to high school. Now listen, for a Chinese person at that time to go to a private school is like unheard of. So she was intrigued because, and all this shit information is listed in the obituary. So she's like, went to a fucking private school? What? So she takes this obituary. She makes her way over to this private school, which has a library and like a little museum. It's like a connected thing. I think it was in Bensonhurst Bensonhurst is a neighborhood in Brooklyn and she goes there and of course the fucking library is under construction and there's somebody there though at reception and she's like you know they're like oh it's under construction it's closed for the foreseeable future until you know renovations are done and she's like oh she's like he's like well what do you you know what do you need? And she's like, "Well, you know, my my grandfather went here, and he just passed away. And I'm just trying to find out information. Is all." And she slides over the obituary. She's like, "This is my grandfather, and it said he went to school here. I'm just trying to get information." And the guy looks at the obituary and says, "Lone Chin was your grandfather." And she's like, "Yes." And he's like, you need to come with me and follow me. And she's like, what the fuck? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, she's like, okay. And he takes her through these hallways and shit to like this back of this library, this like museum type area in the back. And there's these big pictures and paintings and mural things of Lone Chin, her grandfather, looking all prestigious, standing there posing. He's like, this is your grandfather she's like holy shit and then he's like also this is your grandfather and it's like photographs of lone chin and his family on the beach at their summer home girl in um brighton beach new jersey which is like no chinese people own their beach house during these years anywhere girl especially on the jersey shore and he's like, here's another picture. And she sees in the photos, like, because it's listing with the names. The grandfather's name is listing firstborn son, Stanley Chin, which is her dad. And it's, like, up there, like, as if it's, like, an archive thing. And she's like, but why is my family and my grandfather on the walls of this library? Like, what's happening He's like, I can't give you, I don't know. I can't, I don't, I don't really know. Cause he's again, just a receptionist, but he knew these things existed in the library. He's like, I'm just showing you like, that's who your grandfather is. So he had no more answers. And he promised her that um, someone would get back to her and help her and give her an oral history. Meaning they would just, verbally tell her shit since she can't access anything in the moment right it's not open she never got that call to this day that was remember we're back in the fucking 90s when she was like 21 she to this day never got that call they never gave her the oral history she doesn't know why she doesn't know if it was purposefully kept because uh, the family's so estranged from her and they just they just We're told don't give her any information or if they just were like yeah sure whatever we're not nobody's doing it who knows girl never happened though but what it sparked in her were these questions of like who the fuck is my father's side in the family and why are they on the wall of this library like who are they and why did they have a beach in the jersey store and why did they go to private school and why and why and why so she decides because Through finding out, you know, that the dad still lives in Chinatown. She finds the dad's address, which is two blocks over from Mott Street. And the father girl, the father lives in the Edward Mooney house in Chinatown. Google it. I put pictures of it in one of my TikToks you can check that out in my little series for Mott Street. The Edward Mooney house is the oldest or one of the oldest, I think it's the oldest, town home built in Manhattan. The oldest, like it was built during the Revolutionary War times. Her dad owns it and lives in it. <laughs> it's in Chinatown. It wasn't Chinatown at the time when it was built, but it was her dad lives in it and owns it. So when she finds out the father's address, meanwhile, she knows that building. It's two streets over from Mott Street. She's walked Mott Street hundreds of thousands of times in her life and she's like, my dad's been living in this fucking building this whole time I didn't even know. He's got his little name on the buzzer, Stanley Chin. Walk past it every time I didn't even know. She don't even think that her mother, her grandparents even knew that he was living there. Nobody ever said nothing. Nobody ever looked at it sideways. Just keep walking past it. Girl. So she reaches out to her father. Somehow, she doesn't describe how. And they arrange a meeting. Because he knows he's got a kid. There's this photo. Well, it's burned. It's gone now. But she knew this photo existed. Also, um, she had like a little stuffed toy, a panda bear or something that i think the father gave when she was born he came to the hospital with or something she still had that also is either some type of a necklace or a cross or something that the grandmother gave the the, her her father's mother so her grandmother on her father's side also that was brought with the father when she was born with the panda but she never actually met the grandmother in person even when she was born So she had this, these trinkets from the family, but they never, you know, so they know she exists. It's not like a case of like, I never knew I had a kid. No, they knew girl, they knew. So she reaches out to him, they meet up and (laughs) she's like a nervous wreck as you can imagine, right? Meeting a parent, got a million questions rolling through your head. Also, she's on top of that now has these, that she's had for her whole life, the questions girl. She's fantasized about meeting him and all these different kinds of ways, like something you'd see in a movie. Of course, none of that happens. And then on top of that, she has these new questions in her head, these more recent questions as like, who is this family? This prominent family that I am a part of that I know nothing of and why have I been excluded? Not that she needs to be part of a, private, a prominent family, but girl, you know, you're like, why am I excluded out? Because uh, her dad, Mr. Stanley, has remarried and has other kids that he raised since her birth. So it's like, what the fuck is going on here, right? It's not like he never wanted kids and he split into the- No, he had a player, many wives, many girlfriends, children with them, raised them. So why Ava was excluded? She don't know. She don't get an answer neither. So she goes to meet, he agrees to meet with her, she goes to the townhouse, he answers the door, she describes how they look exactly alike, and that was something she was always told throughout her entire childhood, was that she looks exactly like her father, and it used to bother her because she didn't know what the father looked like, but the mother would always say it, especially like when she would get mad or irritated, she'd be like, you act just like him. So she sees him and she's immediately like, holy fuck, I do look exactly like him. She's like, I know why my mom said that my entire life. And he's all weird. Like he's polite, but he's very formal. It's not like this warm, welcoming thing. He's like, hello, how are you? Thank you. Okay, come up and, you know, let's go to my office. And she's walking through the halls of this A beautiful building with all this history and she sees in his office like all this prestigious shit on the walls and photographs of her dad with all types of politicians and people she don't really know who they are but these are like official like photos of shaking hands of people she's like who the fuck? and then she sees he's got a picture of himself shaking the hands of Robert F. Kennedy and she's like, what? Why is my father shaking his hand? Then she sees um uh, on another photo, her father shaking the hand of, I can't remember, some other pol- major politician from back in that day, in that time. And she is like, what is happening here? Who is my father? Again, the only story she was ever told was that basically... He left the mom at the altar. He was supposed to marry her, and he didn't. He comes from a big family, big wig family in Chinatown. That's what they used to say to her. And how much they hate him, piece of shit he was, because he left the mom, and that she looked like him. Other than that, she knows fucking nothing about them. So she's walking into this, like, holy fuck, right? So they sit down. And the first thing the father says to her is, what can I help you with? <gasps> Imagine, all these things are going through her head. All the times she envisioned in her life, the times when she's thought about what it was going to be like to meet her dad. She envisioned all these like movie moments, all these things. Sits down, whatever. The first thing he says is, what can I help you with? And she's, like, flabbergasted by that's the first thing you say. So she don't really know what to say because it's also very nerve-wracking. And she could tell he was nervous, too, but he was really trying hard to act like he couldn't give a fuck. But you could tell he was shit in his pants also. So she kind of, like, matched that energy. She was like, I am not going to let him... I'm not going to become a basket case in front of him. I'm not going to break down I'm not gonna get angry because I don't want him to have any reason to say anything bad about me right so I want to act as perfect as I possibly can so he feels even more like a piece of shit because she's thinking if I start acting up or you know crying or screaming or whatever he's gonna be like "Ugh, I'm glad I had no part in that because she's whack you know so she tries her heart, like all keeps it together. So he's, you know, and she goes, well, I just, you know, I just want to get to know you. You know, I wondered my entire life who you are. And I'm, um, you know, at this moment, she's, her, she's 21 years old. She's like, and I was just always, I just wondered who you are. And she was like, why don't we start with the picture on the wall with you and Robert F. Kennedy? Like, why are you shaking his hands? What is that about, right? Seems like a good place to start. And he goes, oh, yeah. He's like, I used to be in politics, was very heavily in politics. And he was in the New York State Assembly. And he said, and she was like, and he goes, and I I did a lot of fundraising and things with Robert F. Kennedy because, and the, he liked me a lot, and a lot of people like me a lot because of my, my stance on certain topics. And she's like, oh, what stance on what topics? And he looks her dead in the eye. They're sitting across from each other in his office. And he goes, my, you know, staunch stance on a, women's, on a woman's right to choose abortion for herself staring in her eyes basically saying like your mother should have had an abortion with you and he said it in a way to let her know that that's what the fuck he was talking about not like in a way where it could have been interpreted as that like bish he let her know that I wanted that I didn't never want you <gasps> can you imagine girl now Ava says when this happens it take of course it took everything every ounce of who she was to not get up and smack him across the face and fucking curse him out and throw smash it in his office you know but she couldn't she's like I'm not gonna do that because she wanted information from him about the family names dates, addresses and so she she had to like swallow it down and she wasn't going to let him have a reaction because she could tell that he was trying to get her to have a reaction and so she treated him as if she was just researching reported work for the paper and that's how she treated him and so she just matched that energy and she's like She's like, oh, that's interesting. She's like, how about this picture over here? And she just changes the subject and starts asking about the next politician. And she said she could tell that he was surprised by that reaction. He was full on expecting like a blow up scenario or something. And that in some kind of weird way that impressed him that she responded in that way, like didn't miss a beat and just moved on to the next photo. And it was sick, sick man, totally sick man. And so he continued to want to, you know, to continue with the meeting. And he was talking about his different. Oh, he took her on a walk because it was getting to be dinner time. They went out to eat down the street at his favorite restaurant. And he's showing her, you know, the building of Mott Street. And he starts to tell her about Lone Chin, his father, her grandfather that passed and how he was born. In 37 Mott Street because back in those days people were born at home not in hospital and how he died living at 37 Mott Street and how he was basically the unofficial mayor of Chinatown for many years very beloved he opened the first coffee shop in Chinatown called Cup of Sugar or something like that I think it might still be there to this day and how you know, he was just involved in all kinds of like I said, uh, Boy Scout leader, basketball, leader, you know, all the things that the obituary said. And how you walk into any place in Chinatown and say, you know, you're Lone Chin's granddaughter, like you'll be given food for free, this for free, gifts, everything, because he would help everyone in the neighborhood, that da 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 da, da 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 da. And so she leaves. She, f- she collects all this wealth of information and he, she gets other names and different information from the dad and she leaves that meeting with the dad and, girl, she never sees the dad again. That was the one and only time she ever even met him. And she had to keep this for many years from her mother and her grandparents because they would be fucking fuming mad that she met with him. So when she meets with the dad, and he says, this is 37 Mott Street. And this is where Lone Chin was born and died your grandfather, like I said, that was the first time that she ever heard the address 37 Mott Street, right? She also saw it in the obituary from Lone Chin. But so this is her just only finding out. And that's where the that's the biggest piece of information she got from her father because he also said many of your aunts and great aunts and great uncles and cousins and your great grandmother all lived in this building and so that's when she started researching the history and the tenants the family members of 37 Mott Street from this meeting with the dad because that's how she you know that's how she really found out how important that building was so the meeting with the dad was so fucking horrendous, but it, it's what sparked her research into this building and the people that lived there and their stories. Girl. 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 <sighs> now. Her. She. Uh, okay. Let's, what am I going to move on to next? I don't want to tell too much. Her grandfather. So let's talk about, go go back to the maternal side of the family, right? Grandmother and grandfather that she was raised by. So she goes home. She don't tell them that she met with them because, you know, but she starts kind of very carefully asking and poking, poking and prodding and asking questions to see what information she could get and particularly out of the grandparents because she knew the grandparents knew his side of the family in some kind of way from the little bit they would say, oh, they come from this big, big family in Chinatown, right? So, and she asks her grandma for the first time ever, you know, like, grandma, where were you born in Chinatown? And she goes, oh, uh, I was born on, uh, in, on Mott Street. And Ava's ears perk up. And she's like, you were born on Mott Street? And she's like, yeah, I was born at home in a building, not in a hospital. And Ava's like, sound familiar to Ava, right? What the dad said. And so then Ava says, well, what address? And the grandmother goes, 37 Mott Street, I was born. And Ava's like inside, freaking the fuck out, but she can't tell the grandmother this because, you know, she just finds out what she found out from the father. And now Ava's hearing from the maternal mother, maternal grandmother, that she was born in this fucking building too. And so now Ava's like, what the fuck is with this building? My dad's side of the family was born in it and lived in it. My mother's side of the family was born in it and lived in it. What the fuck is with 37 Mott Street? And... Basically, because I'm, I'm not going over this whole 11 and a half hour fucking audiobook. When Chinese people, we're going to do a little history lesson here. So when Chinese uh, immigrants started coming over to the U.S., it started to happen during the gold rush years. And they came over here like for any other reasons that any other immigrants come to the U.S., for opportunity, for work, for a better life, for a chance. And they used to come, particularly they would go to the West Coast first because it was gold rush times. And, girl, anybody had their shot at friggin' finding gold and panning for gold, right? It was Wild West. And so they would come, they would sign up to do labor, hard labor, most of them, and they would come over on boat. In these tiny ass. Basically boxes that were like coffins. The boat would take. God knows how many weeks. To fucking get over here. Across the Pacific Ocean. And. A lot of times. People would chew. Uh, cloth. Cotton. Fabric. And. Dipped in opium. till kind of like get fucked up and high during this horrendous passage over the sea to the U.S. Now, Ava's great um, grandfather and other great, her great grandfather just decided not to get fucked up and high or not to sleep away the whole trip, but to use that time to learn things like English, to learn somewhat of the history of the United States, so that he could talk about things that were going on, to learn about the state of California, where he was going to, uh, to come up with his story that he would tell people, uh, practice, so that he would be more accepted when coming over here. And he did a good job at it, it was smart. <laughs> and him and his fellow uh, it was only him that came over here he didn't bring his family yet girl or nothing like that and he became a laborer and he helped build the transcontinental railroad you know the railroad that goes from California coast to coast and he describes this is her great-grandfather and her grandfather Ava's grandfather on the mother's side is describing to her You know, the stories that his father told him about building the transcontinental railroad and how horrendous that was, and how many people, Chinese people, died, and how all the politicians, the white American politicians, took all the credit, even though they didn't do a goddamn thing, but sit there and eat and watch all the Chinese men work. And, um, you know, he would tell her these stories. They would freeze to death they wouldn't find their bodies until the next winter girl or the next summer when winter and the snow and the ice thawed out by the time the bodies got shipped back to the families in china they were just skeleton skeletal remains not even intact fucking horrendous stories and at first so when her great-grandfather came over here on the, fo- on the mother's side, there was no Chinese Exclusion Act or anything like that going on. So he was his immigration status was accepted. He got over here. And he worked really super hard. He lived in the United States for 30 years until he died. He was a citizen. Blood, sweat, and tears went into building this country more so than any other fucking American that was born here. But... In 1882, when the Exclusion Act happened, anyone else that wanted to come, see, he was already here, girl, they couldn't come. And so his son, Ava's grandfather, couldn't get over here because now it's not allowed. Because of this economic downturn that happened during right around the time the railroad was finished, I think the railroad was finished in 1869 and in the 1870s this economic downturn happens and people start blaming it on the Chinese laborers they're taking all our jobs right and so that's when the Chi- that's why the Chinese exclusion act gets put in place so now Ava's son Ava's grandfather can't come over here and not just him a lot of Chinese people cannot come over here when this happens and then a lot of Chinese violence ensues and Chinese neighborhoods start getting attacked because Chinese people before this didn't have Chinatowns or anything like that. They just lived amongst the fellow Americans that live there. But because of this over years there's this violence starts happening they start becoming more and more you know internal to their own people and they're like fuck this we're gonna move So the, I got cut off, sorry, the people that, the Chinese people started getting pushed out from the centers of towns, from the centers of cities, little by little, violence was happening against them, and they were put, you know, went to the outskirts of these towns of these cities and built their own communities, which turned into Chinatowns across the nation and Chinese communities that are today, okay? that's how all of them started because they just you know as Americans do in our history we like to push everybody out you go over there we don't want you over here with us that's what the fuck happened all right now when the Chinese Exclusion Act was signed into law a lot of people at first when it was first presented didn't agree with it or agree with President Arthur because they were like this is not American it's not what we're about But then as the economy started getting worse and worse and worse and people started getting more and more pissed off, they were like, all right, just fucking sign it into law. Maybe it is the Chinese laborers that are a problem, girl. That wasn't the problem. But anyway, that's always what happens. So back to Ava's family. She starts to see this pattern through researching the ancestors that... That's why they're all living in the same tenement at 37 Mott Street. Her mother's side, her father's side, all of them, because they're not just in Chinatown, but also in, on 37 Mott Street. It was a very famously, widely known tenement for Chinese. For Chinese. And so you stay where you you know, you were born here. The next one, the next generation is born here. The next generation is born here because that's what worked that's what was had been safe for many years in Chinatown and Chinatown grew and grew and grew around this fucking building where they would all first come over here when it was first built and they were, you know so that's the story now within that story she talks about all these different ancestors the great uncle that came over here and what he had to endure um because when people started to come over here, even during the Chinese Exclusion Act, Chinese people would try to come over here, but they would have to basically lie. So she was able to find files on her main family members from the Chinese Exclusion Act, like her grandfather's file on her mother's side and other family members. But everything in these files is either a half truth or a flat out fucking lie. They're not the true story. So in her grandfather's case, It said that some man was his father and that man uh, was a teacher and so he was allowed to come over here because his father was a teacher but it wasn't his father girl it was his uncle and so his name had to be changed so he came over here illegally and this is the story of so many Chinese Americans that you know very well descendants that are today alive their grandparents or great-grandparents this is how they had to come over here because they weren't allowed in her grandfather in particular and many others that came in during the Chinese Exclusion Act had to live like on California they would live on these ships these like barges right outside of the harbor of the city sometimes for fucking months and months and months before they would even let they were like Chinese encampments before they would even let the Chinese off the boat, girl. And they would have to prove through all these questions. She she talked about another time with one of her great aunts that was stuck in a Chinese encampment in Alcatraz for years. Uh, winds up having a baby there. Having to answer crazy questions over and over and over again. Like mental, talk about like, mentally if you could handle it living in an encampment until eventually they would let you come through years though would go by it's like years sitting in fucking customs being allowed into a country so anyways there's more and more and more of these stories throughout the book terrible violence that have happened um amazing crazy stories the father's side was very much the influential diplomats that came over here uh, either before the Chinese Exclusion Act or when they came over during, they were allowed right in because they came from a very well-known family in China because she also goes over to China and does research in these villages in China and finds out, you know, the father's side was this much more well-to-do prominent family. And so they were able to use that prominence over there in China to get into the U.S., no problem. Not living in a fucking encampment for years on fucking Alcatraz. Uh, while the mother's side of the family, and their name is the Wong, the Dosham Wong family, or Wong Dosham, they had a different, because they were the laborers, right? The grandmother, remember, bookkeeper, the grandfather, well she, the grandmother didn't come over herself, it was her parents, but then the grandfather was a bartender. Anyways, girl they're the laborer side so their story is much more full of fucking hardships and so this is what she learns throughout telling all of their stories (sighs) it was a fantastic memoir uh i would highly recommend it especially like for a beach listen she just does a beautiful job at telling these stories of these ghosts as she calls it or these spirits of these people It made me, girl, want to investigate my family and who they are and what they are and where they came from. There's also a family tree. If you get the physical book in the book that you can see, Uh, I was able to find it online because sometimes it can get really confusing who she's talking about because there's so many different relatives and ancestors. Um, and so sometimes you can be like, wait, is this from the father's side or the mother's side? You know, like I would have to be like, da, da. but uh, so that's fun. If you get the book or if you listen to the audiobook, make sure you just, you, you use the family tree girl. Cause that came in handy for me. Um, and it just, you know, I never knew about the Chinese Exclusion Act, went from 1882 to 1943, I don't think I mentioned that yet. And just it was the first and only time in the United States history up till today, that there's a law put in place that is just saying, you can't come over here, because we just don't like you, your ethnicity, your race, it's never happened before in the history of the United States. It's the one and only time it's been done. Girl, I don't think they teach this shit in school in the U.S. If they do, your, your ass probably doesn't learn about it until you get getting college or some shit like that. Uh, it's because it's one of those topics that they don't like to remind anyone of, that we had a U.S. president that did that shit. Putting people in encampments for years at a time trying to gain an immigration status stuck there in these encampments because they didn't have enough money to get their ass back to China after they used all their money to get over here. Stuck in these encampments for years, for months, years. Horrendous, horrendous stories. But also, like, stories of, like, the the level of perseverance and, like, strength. Um, and just, you know, when... And, and, and why so many immigrants and Chinese immigrants grasp so tightly onto their culture. Also why, like, I, I can understand why they're still very much a tight-knit community and in some cases, up to this day, keep to themselves and want to keep to themselves because there's so much, even to this day, uh, Asian hate. She goes into Ava talking about what COVID did To the Chinatown community in New York City and the Asian hate that ensued all over again. It's like fucking history repeating itself like it always does and how that's like this whole new era of Asian hate. So, um, very impressed, very impressed by the stories of the ancestors. I would love to hear her story more about herself growing up in Flushing Queens. I really enjoyed in the early part of the book when she was describing that and the grandparents. It was so, it brought a little tear to my eye. You could tell there was a lot of love there. Um, Which is good for her because the girl, there was no love from the father's side. He was like a playboy. He was in politics. You get it. She calls him the prince of Chinatown. That's what he was called because he was the firstborn son of Lone Shin, who was like the unofficial mayor of China, you know. So he was like little prince. That's how he was treated. That's how she describes him. It's the attitude he had. You know, when he was screwing around and, 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 and dating her mother, who he said he would marry, she was, I don't know, how many years younger than him? Girl, I think more than two decades. And he's like, oh, I'll marry you, I'll marry you. Don't worry because, you know, he comes from this prominent wealthy family and she comes from nothing and has no one but her mother and father. And he didn't do what he said he was gonna do, girl. So, crazy story. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed her description of the foods and the sounds and the smells and the people and all of that. And so I highly recommend. Also, if... You're ever in New York City, girl. I highly recommend going to Chinatown. Fantastic. Don't go at night. (laughs) Just don't go at night. Okay, go during the day. Unfortunately, these days, you know, uh, some rough characters. But right up against Chinatown. And so at night, and especially the subway, don't take it downtown (laughs) my husband used to work there girl but anyways that's a different story so you know but gorgeous food oh New York has the best Chinese food girl oh my god anyway so that is the gist I mean I could tell you more about the stories of all the individual ancestors she learns about but um you know the one grandfather he, he or the it's her great-grandfather called Wang Song. He built the Transcontinental Railroad. He was part of this group that it was the, they were down to, like, the last 10,000 or so feet of the railroad to where it would meet in the middle. And somebody, like, one of the, the white men that was in charge was like, wouldn't it be great if we could get this done in one day? Because it would make all the papers and da 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 da, da you know. And everyone was like, that's impossible. It can't be done. You can't lay 10,000 feet of track in one day. Nobody's done that, that that da, da. And Wang Sung and his crew heard this and they were like, we can do this. And they broke their backs getting this. They did 10,000 plus a few more feet in one day and they completed the railroad. And it made all these crazy, crazy headlines and all these politicians are like holding hands and shaking hands and oh we did it and they take this famous picture again I have that in my TikTok too bitch not one Chinese person is even in the picture and they were the ones that built it and so we talk. she talks about that the stories with that um How many people died building the Transcontinental Railroad? Chinese people died. You just don't know these things. But, you know, probably some of you might have even been on a train that's gone on those tracks, you know, blown dynamite through mountains to make them and all that kind of shit. And you wouldn't know, like, the hellishness that went on to even build it and the history that's attached to it. So, was very and she has another grandfather or another descendant that started um, a gambling house in Boise Idaho very interesting story so I enjoyed it thoroughly guys I hope you look into it do so it was great um, The ne- I don't not sure yet the next memoir I'm going to read but I think It's either going to be Selma Blair, the actress Selma Blair. I'm either going to do hers. That's called Mean Baby. Or I'm going to do, well, girl, I mentioned Hunter Biden. I only just found out this week that in 2021, Hunter Biden came out with a memoir. And there's this interview of him talking about it. And he's talking about how he was a crackhead and he was an alcoholic and how doing things to to get drugs and me and my husband were sitting there and he goes he was a crack like I didn't know none of this shit about Hunter Biden girl because I'm not like involved in politics like that where I'm investigating the I don't I, you know. so I was like God damn, he was a crackhead like he's admitting it admitting being with women and prostitutes my husband's like you should do that memoir but I'm afraid I'm afraid because I know that that name, Hunter Biden, is like this extremely polarizing name of a person on both sides. And so I'm afraid, but I'm like, bitch, he wrote the memoir. It isn't like it's here, you know, rumor. It's coming from his mouth. Maybe he's got a story that'll make you hear his story and you'll be like, oh, girl, I don't know. But I'm interested, so I don't know. You just let me know. You want to hear about Hunter Biden, let me know. He made it sound like, oh, shit. I didn't know who the fuck Hunter Biden was until Joe Biden ran for president. But anyway, (laughs) I don't think any of us did. But anyways, he's got a memoir. Sounds juicy. President's son has a memoir. Now, shouldn't that be something interesting people want to read? No, nobody talks about it. Did you just know? 2021, it came out. I didn't know. I'm interested now. I'm interested. Anyways, let me know what you think. I'm out of my tea. <sighs> that's it. That's it. I, I go listen to Mott Street. It was fantastic, especially if you love New York City and history. It was fantastic. So, all right. Do we have anything else I wanted to talk about? Not really. The submarine. Oh no, I'm not talking about that. The refugees in Greece. Off the coast of Greece. I've been seeing protests now. You know about those refugees, right? If you don't know, Google it. It's like hundreds, four or five hundred refugees lost at sea. They were like asking for help. They went and sent a distress call the same day that the submarine went missing girl, but nobody went to help them. And now they're having huge protests. I saw Yesterday and maybe today, this weekend, Saturday. Huge protests in the streets of Greece. Disgraceful. You know, that's one of my biggest, like, fears in life, is, like, you need help. You're in some type of a situation where you're, like, desperate, life or death, needing help. Whether someone's attacking you. Like I've heard about those stories on the subways of New York and and Philly. Or someone's in your home. Or or some situation where you are just like, if I don't get help, I'm going to die. Or my kid's going to die. Or we're both going to die. And I can't even imagine, first of all, being a refugee, obviously. Fleeing my home, my house. Everything I know. Getting on a boat for God knows how long. With nothing but the clothes on my back, you know, got You, if you follow me, you know I experienced that. I, my husband helped people come off a boat from Haiti in Florida when we lived in South Florida. That cat that beached itself right in front of us while we were sitting on the beach it was fucking insane. I t- have a TikTok about it, but anyways, as like nothing, they had nothing, nothing but the clothes on their back. I don't know what that feels like. You don't know what that feels like, right? So you're on this boat. You see the land. They were coming from Pakistan, Syria, Libya, I think. Hundreds of other people, you don't know who the fuck any of them are. Maybe they don't even speak your language, right? You see land, you're like, oh, here we go, we got there. It's gonna. At least we're going to get off this thing. Because I don't know how long they were on it to begin with. And they like, For some reason, the boat goes under distress. It can't make it, and they don't capsize. Something happened. I don't know that whole story of what actually happened to the boat. And they don't go to help it. I saw The reason I found out about it is on TikTok, I saw a woman, Doctors Without Borders. She's either a doctor or she was a spokesperson for Doctors Without Borders, and she was almost like crying, pleading for help, because they were trying to give medical attention to some of those that did make it to shore about 70 or 100 people but four or 500 of them did gone they're probably I don't think they made it I don't know I don't think so and she was begging for people to go out to help you know from over there in Greece and other community you know countries and nobody did nobody did and I know there's like some weird I saw this before on TikTok there's some kind of weird law I think it's in Italy I think it's in Italy, I'll have to double check, where there's fishermen that go out to fish every day, and they see these refugee boats coming from the same area, and they can't, they can get arrested and fined and jailed or something if they help them, if they bring them onto their boat and help them, and they get caught doing that. And so there were these fishermen that I was seeing being interviewed in Italy, and they were like, how the fuck am I going to be out there on a boat fishing and see people, women and children, floating on this thing, on this sinking raft or on this whatever. They got no water. They got no nothing. How the fuck am I supposed to keep going? And they're screaming to me for help, and they're holding their arms up, and they're holding their babies up. How do you keep going past that? And so there was this one man that was saying, like, he's helped many of them. He's like, I can't, if it means I go to jail, like, I go to jail. He's like, I cannot go, who can drive past that and float past that? What the fuck is wrong? How horrendous. How horrendous. And, you know, all the countries, they all have their different laws. Some countries are more hospitable to refugees than others. Obviously, Germany is very hospitable to Syrian refugees, but they can't get to Germany on a boat. They got to come through these other countries, Greece, Italy, others, to get to those countries. Shit is crazy. So that's why it's like this international crisis. Because Germany will take them, but how do they get there? Germany can't have people in Italy or in Greece on their waters. So it's a complicated thing. They're I think they always are trying to figure out the best way to deal with it. Certainly it's not to just go, oh, well, we're not going to. But that's what they do. They ignore the distress calls, they say, because you get in trouble if you go. I think there was another woman I saw, young woman. She saved some on a boat the the recently. And I think she's facing 12 years in prison now or some shit like that because of it. I saw that briefly on, the, on TikTok. Just just a fucked up situation man I don't know how you stop it I told you my story of what happened to me and my husband and I were on the beach they came off the boat it was like 30 of them my husband had to help because the last few women and children were screaming because the boat was like rocking so hard it was going to flip it was violent they were going to get hurt he helped them off the boat Uh, a lot of other people were hesitant to approach probably because they were worried they were going to get in trouble too Some people don't want to help because they think they're going to get in trouble because these are illegal and, you know, you don't want to get involved. But I said to my husband, I was like, those kids are going to get killed or someone's going to get badly hurt. You saw the video. If you saw the video on my TikTok, I put a video up of it. Maybe I shouldn't have told him to help. Maybe he could have gotten in trouble. Girl, I don't know. In the moment, you're just like, help them. Well, he didn't get in any trouble anyway. And within five minutes of them coming off the boat, all of them, it was like 20, 30 people, they were running to the street. Homeland Security showed up and just started tackling them to the ground and putting them in handcuffs and detaining them, taking them to, I don't know where, an ICE facility, I guess. I don't know where they go. And it was disturbing. Nobody's like saying, are you all right? Do you need water? Do you need medical attention? Cause girl, they didn't speak English. No, but they just were tackling them and detaining them and putting handcuffs on them. Like what? I don't know. It's disturbing. So yeah, I don't. That's the only like tragedy at the sea that I'm going to talk about. I'm not talking about the stupid submarine people. I'm not. So there you go. I know there's a huge drama and a fight going on on TikTok about it. But I just think, you know, could it have been a story that's on the news here and there and we heard about it? Yeah, okay, yeah. Did it need to be this big international drama that occurred? No. No. And then to find out that basically on Sunday when they lost their communication, that's probably when the thing imploded. Meanwhile, for days and days and days, we had all these resources going out. Bitch, they were dead. They were fucking dead the whole time. Anyways, gets me mad. We're all sit- the news is making us think they're all sitting at the bottom of the ocean, breathing their last breaths of oxygen in the pitch black dark freezing. No, they weren't. In a fucking instant, they just imploded and died. And we had to listen to this drama go on for a week on the news about it. I'm fucking stupid. Stupid. Meanwhile, anyway. All right. So that's it. That's my episode this week. Thanks for listening. I hope that um, some of my listeners, I know you're living in Texas. One of you is from Oklahoma. (sighs) Someone had told me you're not expected to get power back until July 1st, girl. That's a long time away. And it's already been a few days, and you got the heat. I hope you are staying safe and staying cool. That is horrendous. Um, so just keep dousing yourself with water and sitting in the shade and don't move your body a lot. And drink. That's all you can do. I didn't have power once for three weeks when I lived in Florida, uh when I was in my early 20s, my house got hit with Hurricane Francis. And it happened in August in Florida, in South Florida. And it was some of the worst shit I ever went through. Couldn't shower because I had well water. So there was no running water. No, I'm sorry, the the water, no, there was no running water. We filled up the tub and the washing machine. And then we jumped in the neighbor's pool That wasn't being filtered because there was no electricity. But you're so goddamn hot you just needed to rinse. It was the fucking worst. So I feel you guys. Anyways, take care. That's it. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll see you on TikTok in a few days. By the way, TikTok is like... Some of those people on TikTok are such fucking morons. You know what I'm talking about because I'm sure you've seen my most recent TikTok... That sometimes I'm embarrassed to be a part of TikTok. There are moments when I'm embarrassed and I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I involved with an app that's filled with morons? I understand that not everybody is a moron, but it makes me feel like one. That I'm associating in that same circle of morons. And then I'm like ashamed of myself. Yeah. Did you hear my dog? Like... So I had to go off of it for a few days because I'm just like, ugh, but I'll be back. Don't worry, girl. Oh, have a great weekend. Hey, guys, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Annoyed Lemon podcast. I truly appreciate all your support. If you wanted to reach out to me, my email is annoyedlemontt at proton.me you can reach out to me there. You can also reply each episode to the little question that I put attached to the episode. There's a reply button and send me a message there. I cannot reply back, but I will be reading some of these messages in the next episode on the podcast. And I for sure read every single one in private. So... You can also support this podcast by sharing it with your friends and family and coworkers. That's probably one of the best ways you can support the podcast if you wanted to. So thank you. And finally, there is a new feature here on Spotify for podcasters called Listener Support. You can click on that if you feel moved to do so. And that is a monthly monetary amount that you choose that you want to help support the podcast with. And it's totally not necessary, but it's highly appreciated if you choose to do so. And I will give you a shout out personally in the next episode. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much if you choose to do that. So. All right, guys, again, thanks so much for all of your support. I love it. And I love to see where this podcast is going to go in the future. And I'm glad that you're here with me to watch it grow. Thanks.